too often, faith becomes more about who is in and who is out or about who belongs and who does not. But in order for spirituality to be good for anyone, it has to be good for everyone. In this podcast, we find incredible people using their faith and life as a catalyst for goodness in this world. Be inspired to discover your own goodness in order to make your life, your family, your community, and your world better. Welcome to the Chasing Goodness Podcast. My name is Matt Kinsera. I'm your host and so glad to be with you as always. Today, just switching it up a little bit, my good friend Spencer Burke, who has been a difference maker in this progressive faith and progressive Christianity space for decades, just a a great human being with a, a huge heart. He's putting on something at the end of the month called the Next Sunday Summit, and I got a chance to work with him on this project. What it is, is he interviewed 30 people who are doing some really fascinating things thinking about kind of the church of tomorrow or that's why it's called the next Sunday Summit and so uh, one of the interviews that we did was actually me interviewing him which was kind of fun and so I want you to get a chance to, to hear from Spencer hear a little bit more about what he's doing on this project and then if you're interested in checking it out if you, it's over 14 days, it'll start at the end of this month. Uh, if you go to his website, spencerburke.com, you'll get all the information there. But if you listen to the interviews the day of, it's it's 100% free. And you're not going to want to miss them because I, I had the opportunity to, to produce all of them and such incredible, incredible conversations. There was not a single interview that was a dud. Like every time I was listening to one, it was like, just more and more good thoughts and and just good human beings trying to make a difference in this world and really thinking about where faith is going in the future. So what I'm going to do is just let you listen to the interview that I did with Spencer for the next Sunday Summit. So enjoy. Welcome to the Next Sunday Summit, a series of 30 interviews with top spiritual innovators and practitioners that are exploring the new realities and opportunities for forward-thinking faith leaders and communities. You can find out more information about how you and your community can join in the growing collaborative conversation at www.thenextsunday.com. In this interview, we hear from Spencer Burke on the topic, Who Moved the Pew? Realities and Opportunities for Faith Leaders. Spencer, it's great to be with you today for the next Sunday Summit. And today we are turning the microphone around and I get to ask you some of the hot seat questions that you've been asking everybody else. So I'm excited to be here with you today. That's so great, Matt. Thank you so much. And I appreciate all your support on this program. Of course, just so thankful to be a part of it. And the first thing I think we should address is that we are entering into, or maybe we should say we've already entered into some new realities in our world as a whole, but also also in our faith circles and in our faith journeys and in context of leadership as well. And I know for myself, sometimes I think, and I try to wrap my mind around everything that's going on, but but there's there's a lot of us who have this sense of mission, this sense of purpose, but because it is a new reality, I think sometimes sometimes it's hard to know how to move forward and accomplish that purpose within the context of this new reality. 
Well, like you said, I think it's happening to both businesses, faith communities, and everything. So I use kind of this metaphor uh, for thinking about the next Sunday. Yeah, I've flown American Airlines forever, and I'm a loyal customer. I have the little card, you know, and for years, what you've been able to do is use your credit card to be able to accumulate miles that go towards free flights, but it never counted towards your status for upgrades and, you know, the Admiral's Club and, you know, all these other things, right? You had to actually get in a plane and fly those miles. It was like 25,000 flown miles to be gold or something, you know, I mean, then platinum, exactly all these things, right? And uh, for the very first time this year, American Airlines has said to be a loyal customer, you no longer even have to get into a plane, so it's wild. What's happening now is you just have to be loyal to the American Airlines brand. So it's American Airlines vacations, American Airlines dining, American Airlines e-shopping. You can also fly. You know, they don't count that out. Um, and you can also use the credit card. But now instead of saying that you have to be on an airplane to be part of the American Airlines family, they've re-looked at it and said, wait, realities have changed. We know what our mission is, and that is to help people have an amazing time when they travel and they're out. So why wouldn't you do hotels? Why wouldn't you do food? Why wouldn't you do shopping? You know, so uh, all of those now count in it. So the big question is, what happens when people don't come back to Sunday as the main organizing function? What happens when nobody flies with us on Sunday morning? And that's a big question. So you can have your mission that you want to create a faithful community of spiritual gatherings, but right now it's not happening in the same way that it has for Sunday morning. So how are you going to recalibrate, reimagine, and rethink how you're going to fulfill your purpose? Well, I appreciate that you put that in the context of a for-profit business. And I love that we're even having these conversations about how we can learn from people, whether they're in faith circles or not. And that leads us to, I guess, a question, though, to, to hone in on this a little bit more. Let's talk specifically about our faith circles. And I know some of the other presenters and some of the other speakers have talked about some of what Phyllis Tickle has has shared in realities of where we're going or maybe what's next for all of us. And as we think about reimagining the next form or maybe the next, next forms of church, I also think it's really important to ask the question before we start moving forward, we need to ask the question of, what was working before and how did we get to the place where we are right now? And you've got so much experience in this scope that I'm really excited to, to hear a little bit of your perspective about that. Yeah. Well, I haven't journeyed 500 years, as Phyllis talks about, but uh, I do have some perspective with it. And if you think about it, the main organizing factor. So why did people need church over the last 500 years? Well, if you think about it, there really was a sense of a one school uh, room, like you had the, the the little square, the town square, right? And you had the civic building, you had the church or synagogue, you had the school and whatever. And it was the one room place where all needs were met, you know, and that was the organizing factor. That's how people did it. So what would happen? Well, people would literally work in the fields for six days, 
Then have you heard the term, put on your Sunday best? That literally came from the idea that people would get out of their farm clothes, they would shower, they would put on their Sunday best and go to church. Why did they put on their Sunday best? Part of it was probably reverence, but another part was peacocking. You know what I mean? There was a sense you were going to go for the mating ritual. You wanted to find a spouse that was connected to your faith. And that was one of the main reasons why people would come together. Well, now we know that Match.com, eHarmony, many others, more people are finding their mate online than they are in any kind of faith community. So what happens when one of your main pillars of organizing gets taken away? All of a sudden, people have less need to come in on Sunday. Another thing that happened was people were not literate. That's why we had stained glass windows that told stories. Really, sometimes the most learned person in the community was the priest, the minister, the pastor. And they didn't just teach on the ideas of scripture. They taught on the ideas of hygiene. They taught on the ideas of uh, even what was happening with the weather. You know, they, they were able to encourage people and educate people in a wide variety of ways. Well, what we have found now is that people during a pandemic especially have found better teachers than they have found in their regular church, their normal church. And they've been able to find those teachers when they're out walking, jogging, exercising, sitting on the beach, wherever they might go, walking through the forest. They have uh, found a new way of being able to listen and learn from a variety of people, too. So it's not just one teacher. There are multiple teachers that they're getting out of podcasts and teachings and uh, subscriptions and a whole other ways. So what happens when that main organizing factor moves away from your community? Um, the other thing that's happened is communications was a huge thing. You've heard of barn raisings and all of that. The thing that would happen is that people would, during the week, have situations happen to them. Someone may pass away or a storm might go through uh, or somebody gave birth, right? And when people gather together on Sunday, they, they self-organize to say, okay, who's bringing the casserole? Okay, who are we, who are we going over to so-and-so's place to uh, fix their yard or their barn or their house after the storm? And that was a way in which you learned about birthdays, deaths, marriages, everything like that. Well, now with Twitter, with Facebook, with WhatsApp, with all these different other mechanisms, people are able to find out how uh, to communicate with one another of what is happening in people's lives. So what happens when you take away those three main key things um, and then ask the question, what is it that will organize us? What is it that will be the draw to bring people together? And I think at that point, we have to reimagine not just the next form of church, but the next forms of church. And I'm not sure that they'll happen just on Sundays, and I'm not sure they'll happen in just our buildings, but I think there's a lot of ways that we can be creative and use our imaginations. Now, Spencer, you and I both know, the whole world knows that the pandemic revealed some things. It revealed some things about the world as a whole. It revealed some things about our relationships, and it revealed some things about faith in general. But it's also a great opportunity. And so one of the things I'm interested to hear about is what are you seeing 
about what's possible. You know, we, we should be inspired to dream about whatever it is that's coming next. And so as a person that has your hands in so many different areas of this world, what are you seeing in reference to inspiration and dreams that are coming about in this space? Well, let's just say that potentially 50% of churchgoers are not going to return. That's a possibility. Um, And we're just early in the stages to try to figure out a lot of this. But if that's true, then we've got to ask, what are the possibilities? What are some of the dreams that we could think about? Well, let's analyze why some people are not coming back. Earlier, we talked about the idea of people getting teachings uh, in real time on their own schedule through podcasts and teaching and other. So people have found during almost two years of a pandemic how to gather together in small groups around tables, you know, how to learn and listen, you know, there uh, and uh, from teaching. Uh, but there's also some real reasons why people are not returning, right? So it's um, like in one congregation, uh, I do a laboratory at a Methodist church, and there's a, some people who are older there, right? And I, I was asking, because again, we always have to ask, let's not assume anything. Let's go out and really have some inquiry here. So I said, what? Why haven't you returned? And I thought it was going to be all about health. A few talked about health and being able to feel safe and everything else. And I don't know what the future of pandemics and health scares and everything else are in the future, but we should be prepared for that every single Sunday, I would say, or every single time we gather. But that wasn't the main reason. One of the things that was amazing is that they said, when I'm at home, I'm able to look at the screen real close and see the pastor's expression. (laughs) And I could turn the volume up as loud as I want, and I can actually hear. But when I sit 10 rows back in the pews, I can't see and I can't hear. So for all the right reasons, people have not returned. And we've got to ask, why is that? So the question is, if people want to listen on their own schedule, they want to hear at the volume they want, and they want to see it real clearly, they feel as if they can participate in a more um, active way than sitting in the pew on Sunday. So we've kind of asked the question, who moved the pew? You know what I mean? Like, so if people aren't there, but they're still participating, that's kind of an interesting thing. So I think we have to think about the possibilities and dream about how we create and embrace those people who are online in our communities um, and uh, and not just on Sundays. Um, another thing that we found is that even before the pandemic, businesses were opening, sports uh, opportunities for families were happening, and vacations and trips with people were um Obviously, a weekend was a main place where people tried to take their Sabbath, find a place to be able to enjoy one another. So the question becomes, is Sunday even the best time? In the agrarian culture, remember we talked about it, people worked for six days, then everything was closed. Everything, even when I was a little kid, everything was closed. You couldn't go anywhere other than at a faith community. Well, that's not true anymore. The competition is only heightened. Um, Now, here's the, uh, and one of the things I think we got to be thinking about is even banks, remember we called it bankers hours. It was because banks were only open like nine to four, Monday through Friday. And you had to go on Friday, cash your check, get the money. ATMs changed the whole world for people's access. 
It didn't shut down the banks, but it had another opportunity for people to dream about the possibilities. I have to say, I think we should be thinking about ways in which we're expanding the opportunities because here's one of the sad facts. Think about the people who on a Sunday morning at 10 a.m. do not have the opportunity to be able to come to church. They are the people who are working at Starbucks. They are the people who are doing concessions at the stadiums. They are the people who are doing janitorial work, perhaps, in, uh, in a big business community that's closed on a Sunday morning, business offices. So literally... Not uh, the least of these, the people without seniority are the ones who can no longer participate with us. And so Sunday morning has always been the most segmented hour of the week. Now it's also the most segmented hour of the week because of socioeconomic reasons. So if we're going to really reach out to all people and give all opportunities, we have to move beyond Sunday morning as the only place. And I'm not talking about just do a Saturday night service. I'm talking about really reimagining and dreaming what the possibilities are. And I don't see that as a negative. I see that as a wonderful opportunity to move forward. And the pandemic simply revealed what was already true, not just pre-pandemic, but probably for the last 20, maybe even 30 years. So again, thinking about new opportunities and how all of us have to be a part of this, leading the church, leading faith into whatever this next phase is in our world. How do we empower people to embrace their purpose in creative ways, because as you've already mentioned, this isn't going to look the same as maybe it did in the past. Well, I, I have a hypothesis, and I think we always have to start with a guess, all right? And it's a risk. If we're taking a risk, it's a 51% chance that it will not work, right? If it's less than that, then what happens is it's a for real deal, you know. But faith, right? Faith is hoping in something we haven't even seen yet. It's a world that we really hope and believe could happen. So we need to start to kind of think about empowering and dreaming about these ways of thinking creatively. So I have a hypothesis, and I believe that even if we don't meet on Sunday mornings, and even though the old ways of teaching and the old ways of congregating and learning and media ritual aren't the things that draw us in, I still think community is at the center of what we need every uh, week, personally. But I think that's not enough. I think there's a common faith that we gather around, right? Um, And then there's a cause that we get to embrace and rally around. And then there's a community that we deepen relationships. So a common cause community. That's my hypothesis. So what happens with that? I don't think that you can have a common cause community without the commonness, right? That's why we gather together. And in particular, I'm Christian, but each group can have their own particular faith gathering. And it's really important to be true to who you are. It's only in that security of knowing who I am that I can offer anything to anyone else. So that common. 
the cause and the community. I am not sure that you can have community without cause. And I don't think you do cause without community. There is this sense that they really bound together. And if faith is the idea of hoping as, uh, you know, of a world that doesn't exist yet, well, James also tells us that faith without action or works it is dead. It doesn't actually help anyone just to think about it, right? So we want people to be able to really embrace their purpose on a creative way. Um, and so what's Common Cause Communities? There really is this sense of, uh, for me, I utilize the new technologies that help us through disruption in the business world. And these are like human-centered design or design thinking, as well as lean methodology. Uh, and I personally use a thing called the Lean Faith Campus. It's a one-page business planner kind of thing or a discernment tool that helps me understand. And really what you do, you walk through the ideas of, of observing, then you walk through the ideas of prototyping or experimenting, then you partner with people, then you sustain it, the work that you do, and we call it the riddle of sustainability. So the answer to sustainability is not always money. And then you share that with others because we, you don't want people to shrink wrap what you did. People need to contextualize it in their own worlds. So what are some of the basic principles of lean methodology and design thinking? Well, you've got to minimize your risk. Don't go out and say, okay, let's hire a minister, a pastor, a priest. Let's go and buy a building or you don't know what that is. You have to observe and you have to be listening. Uh, the other part is that you have to kind of understand that when you do these experiments, it's iteration. It's a test over and over and over again. And realize the first time you do it, it won't work perfectly. You go back. So you go between observation, prototyping, observation, prototyping, observation, prototyping. Once you get a prototype that works, an experiment that feels like it works, then you move into partnering people with people and then create your sustainability. So that's where I think we're moving, is the potential of common cause communities. And I'd love to hear what you're thinking about how you see where we might be moving, because I hope you can embrace your um, power, your sense of calling in a real creative way. Another thing, Spencer, that has to be reimagined as we move forward is just the, the concept of leadership. We can't necessarily rely on the forms of leadership that we've seen in the past because they're not working in our new reality, especially in faith circles, but I think anywhere. And so we're hopeful to see leadership move forward in conscious and much more soulful ways. And again, as you've been working with people in all sorts of business models and faith spaces. What are some of the, the spaces of leadership? Maybe what are some of the new things that you're seeing in regard to leadership? Uh, so ultimately, I would say we want to be careful to not uh, turn churches uh, into simple rental space right? We can end up thinking about, oh, well, let's go ahead and have our traditional AA groups. And I'm not saying take those away, or let's open up a preschool, or let's do a co-working space where if we just do those things, then the minister and the church and the congregation really become landlords, not people who are, you know, speaking into the vision of their community. And I hope the church, whatever assets we have, are seen as wonderful investments into our local communities and beyond. Uh, 
So let me give you three quick examples of things that I would consider common cause communities, all right? The first uh, was a group that was working with homeless teens. And basically, they had to narrow it down to say, okay, who is it that we're trying to reach? Then what they did is they did the observation part. So they talked to the homeless teens, said, what is, what's the need that you have? And now if you think, just for a moment, what do you think the number one need in this particular case study Homeless teens would say they needed, you know, they might think socks, they might think hygiene, you know, sandwich, all of that, right? They said veterinarian services. But doesn't that make sense? Who is the one who loves them unconditionally? Who hugs them in the middle of the night or if it's raining, keeps them warm or barks if there's danger coming? You know, many of these teens feel as if they've been left alone and isolated from unconditional love. So their pet is that. So great. Let's do the idea of uh, uh, veterinarian services. So they put up signs, said 9 a.m. park, free veterinarian services for any homeless teens. Then they go and they show up, right? They have their vet there. They have the tables. They have a couple of banners, whatever. Guess how many teens showed up? Zero, not one. And you go like, wait a minute. So again, you go between the idea of observation, asking, and then prototyping. Well, it didn't work. So they had to go back and with this prototype, they said, wait a minute, why? And they go, hey, here's the problem. The police can read the same signs that you put up and you just did their work for them. They'd show up at 9 a.m. and rally us or pull us all together and ship us back home. That's too risky. You got to minimize risk for everyone involved, including those people that you're serving. So they said, uh, what could we do? Said, you know what? If you would end up and do like our cell phone, your cell phone with each of the leaders, and in 15 minutes, if you could meet us at a corner or a place or location, that's worth the risk. We'll show up. So then what they did is they went ahead and showed up at the time that they had agreed upon in a 15 minute window and they had veterinarian services. And as long as the teens felt safe, they stayed and they were able to have wonderful conversations and, and as well as have sandwiches and socks, and everything else. As soon as they felt unsafe, they broke up right now. Once you go through the observation, the prototyping, then you've got a prototype that works. Then you want to partner. And in this particular case study, this is crazy how fun this is. So what happened is there uh, they put out the word, if anybody wants to help and volunteer, you know, and, in, uh, and come out with us. Um, and so guess who in this case study was the one group that was so consistent when I went down and visited them this day, it was the San Diego Women's Roller Derby Association. Is that the best? But isn't that like so perfect? People that might have felt on the edge and out on, you haven't fit in a church or haven't fit away. Here they find a way to love their neighbor. The church has provided the opportunity. The teens, I can't tell you the amazing conversations that they were having, you know, because they both had such relatable things. And in that moment, I looked and I thought in that pop up, moment with a vet who may or may not be of any faith, you know what I mean? With the roller derby association who were deeply, deeply spiritual, but didn't go to a church. And the teens who just wanted and needed to be loved came together in that moment. And believe it or not, that became a moment of church. I saw that as a common cause community. Then out of that, they needed to solve the riddle of sustainability. So they had to figure out 
how do we actually find out the needs of the vets? Because some vets could actually be in trouble of losing a license if they're aiding and betting somebody who's illegal or not illegal, somebody who's uh, should be brought back to their home according to the law, right? Um, and so you had to kind of think about what their needs were in sustainability. Somebody wanted to donate a van that worked. See, so it's a riddle of sustainability, not just money, but a riddle. And then once they got that done, we started to share it with people around the country. Again, it wasn't a competitive advantage as you do in business, but it really was an opportunity to be able to share with others what they were doing. And then other people went through their own process of observing prototyping, but at least they had a model, an idea of how you could consciously and soulfully move into your leadership. And that's what I encourage people in ministry today to do, and those in leadership as well as those volunteering. Don't just look for easy ways. Look for creative and amazing ways where your soul and the souls of those that you will love will just blossom. So again, that's the next Sunday Summit, and just go to Spencer's website, spencerburke.com. Let me just tell you a few of the people that are on this summit. Father Gregory Boyle, one of my favorite people in the universe. I've never actually met him other than here at the next Sunday Summit, um, but just doing incredible things with Homeboy Ministries. Of course, our friend Brian McLaren, Ann Evans, Tim Sorens, uh, Reverend Dr. Liz Rios, Sue Phillips, Trey Wince, uh, just so many. Stephen Lewis, uh, you know, uh, Reverend Dr. Justin Meyer. There's just so many. Oh, Jen Bailey, that was an incredible interview. I'm not going to give them all away, but just so many good interviews. So again, go to spencerburke.com and reserve your spot. It's at the end of this month. It's over 14 days. You can either watch them live and listen to them live and that will be free of charge. Otherwise, if you want to if you want to just capture them all and have them in your back pocket for any time, you can also purchase them, which is a great option as well. So go to spencerburke, that's s p e n c e r b u r k e.com and reserve your spot today. Of course, if you want to support this podcast make sure you give it a five-star rating write a review and what else can you do subscribe to it that would be great and until next time let's keep chasing goodness together